So Shane, who is your binding arbitrator? Oh wait, I thought I was going to wing one while you go. Ah, okay. Uh, yeah, go ahead, throw it to me. Live from the Mundangerous Balance Beam in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Yishin. And welcome to episode 186 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about playing the true neutral alignment, and probably getting into an argument. But first the rogue traders use applied sciences and pay the price in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the binding arbitrator pulls the plane's most dangerous denizens in the character creation forge. Total Party Thrill is brought to you by Cobalt Press. Do you want to learn the secrets of elven magic? Do you want to blast your enemies with battle magic? Do you want to build cunning mechanical servants with clockwork magic? I love clocks. Who doesn't love clocks? I know, right? They constantly tick, and sometimes they just go kaput on you. Uh, Yeah, but sometimes when they go kaput, it means that you've essentially cut the blue wire, and then you get a big explosion, which is always fun. Well, you can find out about this in the Deep Magic series from Cobalt Press. Yeah, there's time magic, rune magic, illumination, and there are nearly 20 PDFs in the series, with new ones coming out all the time. So you'll find new magic schools, sorcerers, origins, warlock patrons, feats, spells, magic items, and more. It's like uh, Xanathar's, basically. Mm -hmm. Like a new Xanathar's. Xanathar's series of guides to everything magic. That is deep. It is deep. The best part is each Deep Magic PDF is a deal in and of itself. Most of them are only $2.99, and there is a huge trove of content for 5th edition D&D in each and every one of them. $2.99? That's like no money. That's basically free. It's the tip on my latte. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Before we send them to cobaltpress.com, <laughs> we really got to talk about how much you're tipping these lattes. You know, sometimes you make friends. Actually, okay, so seriously, actually, I was in Australia a few years ago. Um, and in Australia, they have, you know, like coins that are actually worth something, mm -hmm. you know, like well, everywhere I mean, else in the world. Relatively right, exactly. speaking. And I wasn't thinking and I like paid for a coffee with like a bill and they handed me change. And then I like did what I usually do, which is like take the coins and I just stick them in the tip jar. And only after I put them in did I realize that I just tipped them like, $17. <laughs> it's great because you don't have the tip in Australia either. I know. I know, right? And my wife looked at me and she's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I don't know. It was muscle memory. Yeah, but now I can't pull it out. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Right, I can't, can't get out now. I'm so sorry. I hope this is the best latte ever. <laughs> All right. So back to the actual subject here. You can pick up the Deep Magic series of PDFs for 5th edition at www.cobaltpress.com. All right. So I think we don't usually do this, um, but I think there's been a conversation happening in the industry, and I think maybe we want to weigh in just a little bit. We're probably not going to hash it too much. I will say, though, that there, this is a potential trigger warning for abuse. I know we're getting like, really kind of serious right off the bat. I promise it won't take all that long. Um, I don't follow hobby drama all that much, but this is sort of like bubbled up. And Shane, correct me if I'm wrong. Zach 
Smith, is that the guy's name, uh, who does Lamentations of the Flame Princess? Yeah, or Zach uh, S. or Zach Sabbath. Okay. Uh, now everyone admits that he's a terrible person, right? Finally, sort of like it's out in the open. Yeah, so there were um, some new and more detailed um, allegations that came out about his behavior that were sort of beyond the allegations that were previously known about him mostly harassing people online that um, didn't like his work. Um, now his former wife uh, or his ex-wife and former girlfriends have also spoken out against him. Um, so people are finally coming around to what most people I, uh, who, who have ever seen him or met him long suspected, I would think. Right. Like this was not a surprise in any way for anyone who like has been anywhere in his vicinity, both in person or online. Yeah, I think it just became harder to deny, right? Like the plausible deniability went away and the pressure rose and finally people had to speak out uh, and and come to reckon with their actions and, you know, either directly or indirectly supporting him. Yeah, so obviously this is a good thing that it's happening. I think we're both disappointed that it took so long. Um, But again, we don't need to like rehash all of what's happening right now, but I I do want to just make a couple points which are like, Zach Smith is certainly not the only person in the industry who is doing these types of things. Like, I don't know specifics, but I guarantee there are others, other abusive people in this industry. Uh, And so like literally more allegations that came out this week. Wonderful. So the thing to keep in mind right now is that it is not right now um, the RPG industry versus Zach Smith. And now we have cleaned house and like we're all set and everything's good, right? There are other allegations. There will be other allegations made against other people um and like this stuff about zach smith came out a long time ago and nothing was really done because people kept supporting him so like when you see these reports of of abuse we need to believe the people who are are making them and actually take them seriously uh like this is something just to keep in mind going into the future it's going to come up again yeah and then the other part of it is we need to create uh an environment where those people don't feel welcome and they don't feel like they are able to get away with this behavior, right? Yeah. That the community won't embrace them. Um, and, you know, if we don't support assholes, people will stop being assholes. Yeah, that's the thing I think that, like, bothers me the most about this issue is that online I'm seeing people saying, hey, you know, I, f- I can't defend him anymore. You know, like, finally the evidence is overwhelming. And before, previously, I just thought, oh, he's an who like picks fights online and like is a jerk to everybody he works with but there's nothing illegal about that i mean sure there's nothing illegal about being a jerk but no one is entitled to your money in this industry like stop paying those people and just make them go away like Mm -hmm. don't support them and they won't hang around we as an as like a an industry like rpgs we like to be very inclusive because we are dealing with people who maybe have not always been accepted right that's one of the reasons a lot of us ended up in this hobby anyway but like you don't need to accept abusive behavior from people even if it's not technically illegal is all i wanted to say okay that's enough uh of the negativity all right so back to our regularly scheduled programming shane perhaps yeah where are we in the dynasty unwarranted campaign so the dynasty unwarranted campaign is our warhammer 40k rogue trader game played using dark heresy second edition rules by fantasy flight games and on the death world iblis prime in the frontier city of meridian the rogue traders have set out to establish a colony in the name of the holy throne of terra and prophet 
Well, we're a bit stretched thin, considering that we've got a remote mining operation deep in the jungle, surrounded by apex predators. Uh, but we've also got people who are hanging around techno-gangers in the city, I guess? Mm-hmm. You've got operations that are kind of springing up to support you in the city of Meridian. You've got your whole mining operation, drilling, security, everything going on in your uh, mining camp. You've got a lot of, a lot of plate spinning, as it were. And uh, yeah, and Flair, your navigator extraordinaire, your uh, astropath, has decided to pick a fight with another group of techno gangers trying to gain some leverage on the uh, security outfit in Meridian, the Sentinels. So after a few weeks, kind of proceeding along, building up your uh, resources, kind of uh, executing on your plan, uh, Seneschal Trix is recalled to Meridian because he finds uh, some discrepancies in the books. So... In his absence, Trank gets to take over. Oh, yeah. Trank's usually in charge of uh, security operations. And I guess now that Draco's dead, he's also in charge of like breaching operations. Yeah. And then you had also taken it upon yourself to uh, monitor Doc's research to make sure he didn't do anything too crazy or too heretical. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's like a there's an upper limit of heresy that we're willing to overlook. Uh, right. The, you, the number is not zero, unfortunately. Right. <laughs> he always toes that line. But it's certainly less than one. Of course, now Trank is distracted because he's running the mining operation. So without this added burden of oversight, Doc is making major progress on his terrible research, which is figuring out how to modify the standard issue stab lights, right? The flashlights, essentially that will be able to see through the uh, semi-invisibility cloaking camouflage of the Emerald Stalkers, the uh, dinosaur-type creatures that are trying to eat the armsmen all the time. And, like, this is exactly what you think you should be doing as, you know, like, uh, as a member of the Adeptus Mechanicus, right? Is, like, uh, advancing the relationship with the machine spirits and, and growing the usability of all of these wonderful Imperial tools. Uh, but, of course... Doc being a heretic, he completely ignores the protests of the machine spirits and instead embraces the darker path, science. Oh, of course. Right. He tells us he's something called a xenobiologist or magos xenos. A a xenobiomagos. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We don't really know what that means. So he just goes into a room and emerges with stuff. Um, He also emerges with corruption. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Trank is about pulling his hair out, just trying to keep uh, the workers safe and the mines running and the ore coming out and the shipments on time. Right. I mean, it's all I can handle. Uh, It's noon and we haven't had a summary execution yet. Like, (laughs) everyone's getting unruly. (laughs) The beatings continue until morale improves. (laughs) Guys, Eureka! And I'm like, oh no. (laughs) Oh no, what happened? So actually, speaking of uh, <laughs> unruly behavior, back in Meridian, uh, Trix has managed to comb through the books, uh, interview his staff, go through what he does as Seneschal, and root out the culprit. Uh, he finds a disgruntled lackey that's been skimming thrones off the top, uh, hoping to buy off-world passage and, I guess, start a new life for himself. You know, something silly and perfectly unimperial. you know, independence. We decide to go easy on him. Do you? I think you kind of make an example of him. <laughs> well, okay, yes. He doesn't get shot in the head immediately. Instead, he's turned over to the bosun, uh, our dark Eldar incubus, Sereth. And he is not heard from again. No. 
and we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week we are continuing our series on the Nine Alignments, and this time we are talking about True Neutral, Batman's Alignment. So Shane, um, like we do each time with this series, let's do a quick rundown of what the heck is alignment. So this is the classic D&D Nine Alignment system. You've got one one axis of good and evil, and you have one axis of law and chaos. You've got neutral in the middle. So you could be lawful, which means you believe in order and duty and reliability. You know that people can't just do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it, or society's going to fall apart. And then on the far side of that, you've got chaos, which is a belief in personal freedom and flexibility and self-expression. It's the belief that mindless obedience and deference to authority just crushes the spirit. Now, you could also be on the good evil axis. If you're good, you believe in altruism and respect for life and compassion. If you're a good person, you go out of your way to help other people, even if it might result in harm to yourself. Or if you're an evil person, you are selfish, you like to inflict harm, and you use oppression. You will seek personal gain, even if it actively harms other people. So you put these two axes on top of each other, you get nine boxes with neutral in the middle, and this time we are talking about the very center of the box, neutral neutral or true neutral. So Ishan, what is true neutral? This is, I think, maybe one of the the alignments that gets argued about a lot because people can't seem to necessarily agree. And I think that is because Wait, there are the many ones different... that get argued about a lot, meaning it's one of the nine alignments. <laughs> <laughs> no one argues that much about chaotic evil, right? They're like, oh, yeah, we know, we know what that looks like. I mean, chaotic evil people are always arguing that they're actually chaotic neutral. Oh, yeah, that's true. Or they're like, no, no, I'm lawful greater good. Hey, fuck you. (laughs) All right. So a true neutral person believes that uh, both good and evil or law and chaos are too extreme. It is the middle way that is best. It is untainted and unbiased. So this kind of gets divided into two general outlooks, right? There's the uh, passive sort of dispassionate neutral path is the best way to live. And so falling too far to one side or the other puts your life into imbalance. And then the other is the active approach, right? Which is the alignment extremes need to be in balance or else bad things happen. And you must make sure that they are balanced. Yeah, this often happens in uh, settings where like the alignments are actual like tangible things like planescape. And so like if you have too much of one or the other, the universe like implodes because it like, can't hold itself together. Um, but it's also interesting as just like a philosophical um, moral outlook in like a much more general campaign setting. Yeah, All right, so, oh. the latter is very much like neutral contrarian, right? Yeah, what would that be like, Shane? I don't know. <laughs> We were just talking about how you're in Slytherin. (laughs) (laughs) Self-appointed. Hey, look, just because I know myself doesn't mean I'm proud of it. Look, in real life, if real life was Harry Potter, everyone would be sitting under that sorting hat and going, anything but Hufflepuff, just not Hufflepuff. (laughs) I mean, that's the the four great archetypes of children, right? Brave, evil, smart, miscellaneous. (laughs) Other... (laughs) All right, so there are actually quite a few reasons that someone might want to play a character who is true neutral, has this like very balanced outlook. And the first is that it might be that you're really interested in playing a character that is philosophical about how people ought to behave. You spend a lot of time thinking about it. You know, how am I supposed to act? How should other people be acting? And if you're true neutral, you probably are taking the long view about consequences of people's actions. 
because you're thinking, you know, long term or down the line, you know, how how does this impact a society? You probably want things to, you know, either stay status quo or make sure that they don't fall too far to one way or the other. So you look at the actions that are occurring right in front of you, the actions that you're making in the moment, like in this round, in this battle, as representative of much uh, larger plans. You also could be following more of an instinctual, natural rhythm. Uh, in the original sort of conception of true neutral in AD&D, druids were required to be true neutral because that's the view of how nature behaves. Like It doesn't have morality. It's naturally law and chaos balanced. Yeah, it's interesting. I think people often think of nature as like chaos incarnate, right? You have like um, gods who have like chaos domains and it's always the storm and, and things like that. But like nature as a whole is both um, chaotic at times and also extremely lawful at times. Like the seasons fall within orders and like autumn never comes directly after spring, right? Like things happen in, a, in very predictable patterns uh-huh. within nature. Uh, as for druids, fortunately, uh, I think in 3.5, they were only required to have one axis neutral. And now like now you can be whatever kind of druid you want, which is better. Uh, you might also want to play a character that doesn't spend much time at all thinking about how people ought to behave. Like you just avoid the philosophical discussion by uh, staying in the middle. Yeah, I think this can work really well in a party where you have people with lots of extremes. Like you get, if you have the paladin, but then also like the Robin Hood archetype and they're arguing a lot, you can sort of be in the middle and be like, it's six or one half dozen like this is not really that that important this thing that you've decided like we have a task and we're going to go accomplish that task Mm -hmm. Uh, you could be a guardian of the balance um this is what morden canaan and his circle of eight is it eight i think um Uh, well, you know, Nine, it depends on what point in time 14. you're talking. Yeah, <laughs> the number changes. Uh, the like high-level uh, spellcasters in Greyhawk, um, you know, they were the original characters of like Gygax and his friends. And um, later in the fiction, they uh, sort of became like almost like fetishistically adherent to this idea that like the multiverse must be balanced. And so like if there's too much good over in one place, they'd like cause some evil over here and, and vice versa and, you know, stir up a rebellion if if like a, a kingdom had been uh, at peace for too long. You can also be the guardian of your own balance, right? If you find that as a as a character, you have a personal bent towards one end of the axis, but you believe that that is the wrong thing. Uh, you might be actively trying to uh, cancel that out. You might end up true neutral as a result. Yeah, this works really well for like ascetic monks, you know, who like believe that the denial of passion is um, like the proper way to act. And true neutral is interesting because it's also one of the few alignments, I think, where you can really enjoy sort of just passing through it. Like if you are an evil character who has an arc that you are, you know, eventually working toward being good or being redeemed, you could end up as true neutral for a while because like you're not quite dedicated to good yet, but you sort of renounced like actively being evil. And so you're sort of existing in this middle space for a while. Yeah. I I like almost all evil alignments lead to true neutral, whether you're lawful or chaotic evil, you kind of have to figure out what good looks like in, in response, right? Like, so you could totally go from like a lawful evil to a chaotic good because you've rejected all parts of that evil. Mm-hmm. I also like uh, probably my f- my favorite shift is like lots of chaos or chaos to law and traveling through neutral and uh, it's it sort of you have the ability to interact in philosophical ways with with much more like um, 
material organizations like uh, governments and things rather than necessarily like do we kill a person or not kill a person mm-hmm. so let's talk about some reasons for true neutral characters to be out adventuring i think the the biggest one is probably the default for a lot of adventurers it's you're keeping evil in check and you know this is your typical um like rpg quest where a very bad thing is going to happen like it's so bad that even if you believe the good and evil need to be balanced like that would put evil way on top right right also like if the world is destroyed that's not very balanced yeah i mean like by continuing to exist in a feudal society in some way you're kind of like as best you can is neutral right like yeah. <laughs> like we're not going to solve all the evils here we're just going to solve the one that's sort of mm, most actively driving us towards terrible Yes, the the very pressing issue of you're going to destroy my grove. Right. <laughs> uh, and of course, you know, if you happen to be in an evil game, maybe you're actually out questing trying to keep good in check because, I don't know, they're going to solve everyone's problems and, like, it'll become Brave New World. Something. Yeah. Uh, you could also be out fighting tyranny or anarchy, sort of the, the two extremes of law and chaos. Um, you might come into conflict with larger organizations that have these types of goals. Uh, you can also be the designated arbitrator or diplomat or just the, you know, the unbiased neutral party who has been sent out into the world, maybe with the party, maybe not, uh, to broker a peace deal or to to be the person who inserts themselves in the middle of people who obviously can't uh, come to agreements between themselves because they're, you know, extremely biased. So you can be the one who um, is maybe the only one qualified to make that ultimate decision about what should actually happen. You might also be an agitator who is sent to stir up trouble in in a place that has kind of veered too far to one extreme. And also, if you are playing the ascetic, being out in the world can be a test of your own inner strength or inner compass. I mean, it's pretty easy to like be very balanced uh, and centered when you're like living up on top of the mountain in the monastery. But you know, now you're on walkabout in the real world, uh, trying to make a difference or prevent a difference from occurring (laughs) as the case may be right so i think one of the interesting moral dilemmas you can face as a true neutral character that a gm can throw at a true neutral character is the instance where the party has succeeded in doing a thing but now the question is how much good is too much good uh you get into a situation where okay maybe it's the end of an, an arc and like you've helped establish um you know, the rightful ruler of this kingdom uh, is now in charge. Okay, well, if they have now, like, if everything has settled and, you know, the other factions that they were dealing with um, are no longer allowed to actually practice, uh, maybe, like, one religion has been made dominant and and perhaps now it is, like, a monotheistic society and you have these other people who, like, want to practice their their religions like you helped win and establish and like cause uh some order in an area that was extremely lawless but now does it very quickly swing in the other direction like philosophically as a neutral character that's the thing you're always looking out for is like you need to be careful about picking winners or a winning side and then staying on that side because they very quickly um run roughshod over everyone else yeah you kind of have this like perpetual tyranny of the majority problem that you're always working against right like you're kind of always advocating for the side that is currently has the losing worldview yeah you're sort of a champion of the underdog and your activities are very likely to swing who is the underdog 
Uh, you might also have a moral dilemma about when to actually get involved, right? Like the this sort of neutral outlook of it'll all work itself out, um, you know, to each his own, like there's no, there's no need to necessarily become actively participating, like just stay passive. Um, you, you can test those boundaries as a GM or explore them as a player. Yeah. And I think in this instance, it's, it's important to remember that like as a character, you don't necessarily need to be a person who is dispassionate about, law and chaos and good and evil like you can have real feelings about like what you want to be doing you just may believe that you shouldn't necessarily be doing that so it's a nice situation to put someone in where like something that they want to stop is happening or vice versa and and that is the tension is that they feel like philosophically they shouldn't be doing that it's like the star trek problem like there's the prime directive which is don't interfere with like native species on their planet if they haven't discovered interstellar travel right because you're sort of tainting their society but what happens if like you know a comet is about to hit that planet do you rescue them or do you not and like the prime directive says you don't rescue them like the the fate the natural fate of this society is to go extinct and you can see a lot of times you have characters who are like but but no these are actual people and they're not doing anything wrong like i want to help them spoiler alert in star trek they almost always help them and then just get reprimanded yeah because that makes for a lousy episode if you don't actually take the active approach (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> and then what happened? We left and we had a bottle episode in, in like right in, in the cafeteria. Right. We yes, we filmed in the engine room. <laughs> there were tachyons. You can't see those. All right, so let's talk a bit about how true neutral characters are going to interact with various third parties in the game world. I think the biggest one is probably authority figures in general. Um these people tend toward uh, lawful action. So true neutral characters are probably more be will be more likely to bristle at orders that they're given um, because they don't necessarily recognize the authority of these people. And then, of course, ironically, they're often subservient to the leaders of their own organizations that may have these types of goals of of neutrality or whatever, um, and yet they require a little bit of law in order to function. Yeah, I like this idea actually of like uh, of a backstory for a true neutral characters. They are part of one of these organizations that maintains the balance, you know, like starts fires if there aren't enough fires, etc. Uh, but now has begun to think this is a very lawful organization because it's very hierarchical. Like we're told where to go and what to do. And I think that's probably too lawful and we need to mix this up, this organization up a little bit. Right. <laughs> now, when... True neutral characters are dealing with enemies. It's a nice opportunity to sort of like see both sides of the issue or, you know, to have disdain for almost anyone you run across, right? If you're the paladin, okay, maybe like you have respect for um, the like noble that you're fighting who maybe you're just on different sides of an issue and then you, you know, hate the evil orc. But a true neutral character could have disdain both for you know, soldiers who are just following orders unquestioningly, and at the same time, disdain for the people that those soldiers are fighting, who are just invested in rampant slaughter and pillaging. Uh, you might also be disappointed by people who don't have any examination, no internal uh, consideration of their own motivations, right? The idea that you blindly follow anything uh, is is incredibly dangerous to a true neutral person. Yeah, and this is a good opportunity for you to have some like interaction with enemy NPCs, even in the middle of combat, right? Like now is probably a great time to strike up a conversation about 
why it is that you're doing what you're doing and have you really thought about the repercussions of your actions? Yeah, and have you really thought about joining the dark side? You know, there's only two Sith, but there's plenty of Jedi. I think we need more Sith. <laughs> well, hang on. At the time, <laughs> there was supposed to only be one Jedi. <laughs> okay, well, now we need more Jedi. I mean, <laughs> you need at least two Jedi before they're a true breeding race. All right. <laughs> Preferably not father and son. <laughs> well, you get all kinds of crazy Jedi that way. Uh, I think it's also important to note that true neutral characters are likely to be less disgusted with evil than most of your typical good party would be. Um, They kind of have the unbiased eye, right? Yeah, they're probably the one who isn't clamoring for like immediate execution, right? They're like, well, let's examine the reasons behind their actions. Yeah, maybe they're a product of a system. Yeah, a terrible system that was both too restrictive and not restrictive enough. So how about chaotic characters? I think a lot of true neutral uh, characters will find them undisciplined, uh, but there is a silver lining in that they tend to be this force that can be directed even if they can't be controlled. Uh, So especially if the chaotic character is like less intelligent than the true neutral character, they probably see them as a tool. How about evil characters? They probably come across as selfish uh, and maybe likely short-sighted, right? Because in the normal world that most people play in, like if you're actively doing evil things like stabbing people in the dark, if you're being a murder hobo, that doesn't last very long because like the law then comes down on you and kills you or like people band together. So it, it probably just seems like a waste of effort. Yeah. I, I like the idea that like a, a true neutral character's take here is like, so, you know, the evil cult wants to complete a ritual that's going to end the world. And the good characters are all like, no, you can't do that. You know, millions of people would die in the process. And the neutral character is like, what's your end game? Like, yeah, right. like, and then what? <laughs> then you're dead. That's dumb. <laughs> yes. The next time we play a Temple of Elemental Evil game, I want to make a true neutral character who's just sort of like poking holes in the whole premise. Right. (laughs) He's called the Prince of Evil Elemental Fire. What made you think this would be a good idea? Right. (laughs) All right. So what about lawful characters? So I think uh, true neutral characters probably find lawful characters mostly unimaginative or, or maybe even afraid, right? Like afraid of freedom of other people or especially their own freedom right the idea that predilection towards law comes from a lack of trust in society or in themselves yeah i like the idea that the true neutral character thinks of themselves as like sort of balanced on this fulcrum and they're sort of poking the lawful character and going what without all your rules do you think you'll turn into that one over there and then they point at like the barbarian Mm -hmm. like you to me both of you are the same and what about good characters so good characters are good characters are soft. They're short-sighted. Uh, they're uh, trying to help people, but in a way, without letting people help themselves or by upending the natural order, they're really hurting everybody in the process. Yeah, again, this long view, right? Like, okay, great. You've helped those peasants, but what happens next week when we're not here? Right. Or like, you know, yeah, sure, you have uh, you have freed them from the like the oppressive control of uh, of a, you know, evil monarch. 
but now left to their own devices and unchecked and prosperous, like they'll consume all of the resources in the area and soon they'll have to go expand their borders and create wars in order to continue to, you know, fuel their own growth. Right. You've helped this village and you've destroyed the one over the hill. Right. And it's almost certain like a goblin village over the hill, right? So right. something that like the good people don't care about. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. No, I like that because but like you do care because the goblins are the same. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you have freed these people from the tyranny of that evil monarch and introduced them to the tyranny of starvation. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out there's no dignity in being poor. <laughs> so how about other party members? I think a true neutral character, I mean, obviously, if you don't have an entire party of people who like share your outlook and are also true neutral, then you're probably happiest in a group that is a balance of outlooks. I mean, one, so that you can sort of point at them and sort of needle them and go and go like, not necessarily play them against each other within a party, but you, you can you can present them as point and counterpoint to each other. And also, you might just be that kind of character who believes that like that actual balance is good and like the the like more... Uh, pained the paladin is about breaking laws like the more uh the barbarians should be reveling in like smashing things Mm -hmm. yeah or or alternatively you could be the voice who always sees both sides of the argument and ends up being like frequently a swing vote right like you can always count on the rogue and the paladin to oppose each other in their approach but you know that druid in the middle he's probably going to go with the uh whatever seems to be the objectively best approach rather than the one that's uh, most fitting an ideology. Yeah, I think it is uh, counterintuitive, but true neutral characters will often emerge as the de facto leader. They don't usually necessarily put themselves forth as, as the leader, but if everyone is always voting in a predictable way, then I guess you're the one making the, the like final decision. It's like the man behind the throne. All right, so there are definitely some pitfalls in playing these kinds of characters, and I think it's probably some of them have become quite obvious as we've been talking about this. Um, I think the first one is is that you want to make sure that you're you're avoiding playing that trope of the the character who believes that things should be balanced, and so once the party has won, it now turns against they now turn against the party, right? The sudden but inevitable betrayal of great, we've defeated the goblins. Now I'm on the goblin side. Ha 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 ha. Yeah. You also want to avoid changing your outlook in the middle of a session, um, especially if that's walking back decisions that were just recently made, right? Like it's it's fine to have that outlook kind of changing and shifting and evolving over time and, and sort of trending towards neutral, but in a in a given session, it can make for it can really bog down progress uh, of the plot and of the rest of the party if you're constantly flip flopping. Yeah, you like you still want to be a reliable party member. Otherwise, like everyone else will either kick you out or murder you. Yeah, it's like you can't kill two goblins in the fight and then be like, oh, wait, but now the goblins are losing. So we should be on the goblin side and then switch. Right. Or there were four goblins and two are dead. I'm done. Right. Right. Like that makes you a jerk. (laughs) That gets you a half share of loot is what that gets you. (laughs) You only get XP for killing blows. Okay. (laughs) And then the third, and I think probably most egregious of them, is the uh, the neutral stupid, right? The idea that there's like a, a global checkbook of good and evil and law and chaos, and you have to carefully make sure that everything balances and ticks and ties, or else, I don't know, something. Right, exactly. Like, okay, you know, we won that battle, and now we need to lose the next battle, or like we saved the orphans, and now I must murder orphans. Right. 
like that fundamentally like in the game it ends up playing the same as like chaotic stupid murder hobo like i'm just as likely to jump off a bridge as to not jump off the bridge is the same as last time i didn't jump off the bridge so now i must and then also there uh, there i think is the um the risk of playing the passively true neutral character who just refuses to get involved in things like just don't be that person leave them at home as an npc yeah right like as a as a pc you always have to be picking up plot hooks and engaging and pulling on plot threads so if your uh, alignment is driving your character to not engage with the plot of the game that you have chosen to play that's a bad alignment to choose or it's at least a bad interpretation of that alignment yeah it is your responsibility to figure out why your character would engage with this story so if there is a moral dilemma or like some philosophical issue where your character would say, I think I would sit this one out, you can always talk to your GM like above the table and be like, can you can something happen? Can you give me something or, you know, talk it out at the table about how like you're having some sort of change of heart or you're against your better judgment. You will go along with this. Mm-hmm. But next time we're sitting it out. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> next revolution we're not getting involved okay <laughs> we do cut one communist uprising and then one capitalist revolution okay <laughs> uh, but that's basically yes yeah, so this is the cia that's how we do it right <laughs> actively true neutral we need puppet states of all of them <laughs> taking the long view all right what are some other plot hooks <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, like, as a GM, I love the idea of presenting a villain who the true neutral character can maybe identify with or or at least, like, understand their motivations, right? Because the true neutral character has the ability to sort of step back away from, like, oh, no, are bad things happening to people who don't deserve it? Um, and can look at the sort of, like, greater, quote-unquote, greater good scheme of the villain I often think of like um, Vandal Savage in DC Comics, who is like this uh, villain who like pulls puppet strings and is basically trying to like kill all the superheroes and like send the world into like uh, terrible chaos to basically sort of start civilization over because he believes that it will push forward human evolution and that we will all then become stronger and and better and then better able to like protect ourselves in like a universe full of like superpowered creatures. Yeah, right? we'll like, be better able to protect ourselves from villains like me. Yeah, exactly. Look, if I am able to destroy the world, then we're obviously not strong enough. Right. <laughs> um, this is the the Raz Al Ghul um, motivation from like uh, Batman Begins, right? Like these cities have become too decadent, and so we will destroy them, and they will like turn on themselves, destroy themselves, and then from the ashes, you know, better things will come. Mm-hmm. And, like, I like the idea that a true neutral character is like, uh, I mean, I'm on board, per se. <laughs> right. We just differ in method. Yeah. So another plot hook that works well for neutral characters is, or to engage true neutral characters is when they're tasked with carrying out uh, something that is seemingly evil, um, something like maybe, you know, helping the goblin marauders um, with the sort of true reasoning is that they, you know, they have a right to their sacred temples and things like that that are being encroached upon by civilization, right? So it's the it's the underdog striking back. Yeah, the true neutral character has the uh, ability to step back from the, like, 
supposed morality of the situation or the, like the the morality on the face of it to actually see like what is going on beneath this like maybe the goblins are actually just being used by some sort of like you know ancient useful spirit i could i could see this actually happening in eberron in the um the shadow marches where you have the dimensional seals keeping uh zoriat at bay uh and like unimpeded civilization could potentially damage those seals and so you know you have druids and rangers and all kinds of shifters you know basically fighting back although maybe not even necessarily knowing why they're fighting back right you just have like these ancient uh fey and nature spirits sort of goading them toward attacking settlers but like mm-hmm. it is ultimately for a greater reason and the true neutral character is the one who can sort of like investigate and drill down into it to figure out what's actually going on so as we wrap up here uh talking about true neutral uh... What do you think about having two true neutral characters in a party, Yishin? I think that could be a lot of fun. And in session zero, it it might be nice to sort of have the two players hash it out so that they can take oblique um, directives. Like one might have one particular true neutral outlook and the other might have one that is not opposed, right? But that is a different angle on it so that they can have conversations about it even if maybe other people in the party aren't necessarily interested in that yeah i like um the potential for like splitting a party with the two true neutral characters like in one of the splits and then like you know the two or three other characters going off and doing something and as they're like you know working through a heist or you know in a trying to rob a liquor store or whatever you know pcs do like the two true neutral characters are sitting there discussing the morality of the situation right like Oh, we're not needed for this mission, but like we're we're here just providing sort of the um the philosophical context sort of interspersed with the combat scene or the heist or the like murder hoboing or whatever it is. Yeah, I love the idea of um uh, a scene like that where everybody has like com beads in and like the sniper is just like keep the chatter down yeah. and like, the true neutral <laughs> character is like, "Well, I don't know if you consider." <laughs> well, if if you think of like a um like a Decker in, yeah. um, right? Like a Decker and a Sniper in Shadowrun, right? Where they're they're naturally like slightly disengaged, like physically from the rest of the party. <laughs> they're having this conversation, providing you know technical and and literal Overwatch for the group as they're going through whatever they're doing because they don't have a whole lot of actions to take care of until things pop off. Yeah, I also like the idea that you have the two true neutral characters who have come down on opposite sides of the balance issue about the same issue, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, we absolutely have to overthrow this monarchy. No, no, we absolutely have to uphold this monarchy. Yeah, right. <laughs> Especially in situations where, you know, lots of times you show up in a city and like there are multiple factions and like the party gets to decide what faction they like join or, or sign up with. And the, yeah, the two true neutral characters can definitely be on opposite sides of that. And then, you know, attempt to convince each other or whatnot. Yeah. Like, we definitely have to stop this cult right now. But let's talk about long-term plans. Because, right. <laughs> like, the cult, I think, is ultimately doing good things. <laughs> no, no, I mean, like, the monarchy. Like, we got to deal with this monarchy at some point, right? Like, the paladin's not thinking about it. He sees evil. He goes and smites. <laughs> like, the uh, the cleric, she doesn't care one way or the other. She's all about her her temple's mission. And yet, here we are. Uh, can we let this monarchy stand? Really? Can we leave here? Is our work done? You know what the real cult is? Feudalism. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I think the true cult is consumerism. <laughs> Eight 
gold for a longsword. Yeah. <laughs> I just bought metal. a longsword last week. <laughs> what? What? Because, because because blackened iron is now more popular than cold iron. Suddenly, I've got to go get a new sword. This is ridiculous. They have the same properties. None of this makes any sense. <laughs> Listen, I tell you, there's a there's a fay who's controlling your mind, man. <laughs> Feeding the need. We didn't even talk about it. Like true neutral characters are great conspiracy theorists. <laughs> right. <laughs> On that note, did you hear that, Ishan? <laughs> yeah, it's the voices. The voices always tell me what to do, and they're never wrong. We're going to have to move on to the character creation forge and roll up an ally. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sense Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. So this week in the Forge, we are building the Binding Arbitrator, who uses bound creatures, both good, evil, and neutral, in their quest to maintain the balance. Okay. I uh, I, I take it when we say bound creatures, we aren't saying, um, like, high use rope check and hold person spells. <laughs> We're definitely using hold person spells also. Okay. Uh What's what is use rope in Xanathar's? It's a what a an intelligence sleight of hand check. Is that what it is? Probably, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, you know you wouldn't be you're not going to be terrible at that actually. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what's the build? It is divination wizard seventeen, divine soul sorcerer three. So obviously, with seventeen levels of wizard, we're getting ninth level spells. And we're going to get uh, three times per day portent, which is roll a d20, and then you can use the, that those rolls in place of yours or someone else's d20 roll. Uh, we'll also get uh, proficiency in arcana so that we can scribe scrolls. And then we'll regain some lower level spell slots when casting divination spells, which is, you know, potentially useful for um, non-ritual divination spells, of which there are not that many. <laughs> mm-hmm. But Mind Spike is, is good, too. So from Divine Soul, we get access to up to second level cleric spells because you can also pick cleric spells in addition to sorcerer spells. So we'll get Guidance. Cure Wounds is great for some healing. And then you're going to want Zone of Truth because, of course, as an arbitrator, what do you do? You Guidance your insight check while people are within a Zone of Truth in order to determine who is actually lying. Yeah, you got to depose them. And then uh, to help with that, you also have Heightened Spell for Metamagic, which will allow you um, to make that save more difficult so at lower levels they play like a typical typical wizard you're using you know thematic spells like hold person and hold monster scorching ray is great um for a binder web followed by any deck save is going to be excellent if ards black tentacles restrains hypnotic pattern keeps people in place uh while they're drooling but once you get let's say sixth level spells things shift a bit here because you're going to want to stop killing the extra planar enemies that you come across instead Make sure that whoever does deals the killing blow is knocking them out. And then you can cast Planar Binding, which is a 5th level spell. But at 5th level, it only lasts 24 hours and ca- costs 1,000 gold pieces, which is totally not worth it at all, right? Like, okay, mm-hmm. here's a fey creature. I have captured it. I now bind it, and it is basically my servant and like a henchman for 24 hours. Not worth it. 
but its sixth level, just one level higher, it lasts for 10 days and scales from there. So, and the, the price never increases. It's always a thousand gold. Oh, that's called economies of scale. There you go, right? You want to get the most bang for your buck. And there's no limit on the kind of creature that you can bind with planar binding. Um, it takes an hour to cast, which is useful if they're unconscious, because they'll be unconscious the whole time and won't be trying to escape. Uh, you want to heighten it because that'll give them disadvantage on the spell, uh, on the, the save. And then they're just locked in for the duration. I think it's 10 days, and then it goes to a month with a 7th level spell, all the way up to with a ninth level slot, it's a year and a day, which is a very long time to have the uh, enemy creature that your GM threw at you just hanging out. Actually, like downtime is the biggest enemy of this build. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the one wizard who wants a, uh, a longer workday. Right. No, can we just keep going? Let's go. Let's go. Yeah, let's, let's guys. We only got <laughs> nine and a half days left. Let's get moving. And there are like amazing creatures that you can bind like a lot of celestials and fiends have at will abilities at will darkness uh, can always tell the truth. Actually, if you can get a celestial bound, it's great because most of them can always tell tr- like a lie. So you just have them arbitrate. <laughs> yeah. See, the, the only problem with that is with celestials turnabout is fair play. And with uh, with fiends, they'll just kind of respect you for pulling it off, you know. But like, you don't want to bind too many celestials and get them real upset with you for using their at will abilities, like hey, wantonly. You'll just uh, use other bound fiends uh, to fight them, right? You're all about maintaining the balance. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Look, I took one fiend from the nine hells. That means I have to take a celestial, otherwise the blood war and uh, the like celestial balance on the planes is not even anymore. Yeah, it's got to be a planar or a solar. Like, oh that's my god. just how it is. Oh my god, I mean, you can get one of those. Yeah. I, could, I think if you bind a solar, you win the game. Oh, you win D&D? Yeah, I think oh. you do. Oh, cool. <laughs> All right, so once you actually get to higher levels, though, this starts to get a little nuts because you can now summon and bind these creatures on your own without, like, finding them. You summon them, and, like, if you have a helper, you can do it pretty easily, and then eventually you can just do this on your own because binding creatures is actually really complicated in fifth edition uh like it takes an hour to cast planar binding right so they need to not be actively trying to escape from you and the thing you usually do is use a magic circle which is great but then if you want to summon them that's a concentration spell and then casting planar binding also requires your concentration which means you lose it which means they either disappear or they begin attacking you uh with all those at will ability those juicy at will abilities Mm mm-hmm so it becomes a little complicated. So you can cast a fourth level magic circle, which will last for two hours on the ground. And then you cast your summon spell directly into the circle. Um, that can be uh, Infernal Calling, which casts, uh, which calls a, a devil. Uh, there is Summon Greater Demon, which uh, calls a, a demon. Um, and I really like... Uh, conjure elemental which works really well so because when your concentration ends on conjure elemental or when it breaks the elemental doesn't disappear it starts going berserk and rampaging but that's cool it's inside a magic circle and can't break out right so now and it lasts for an hour like it hangs out for an hour that's supposed to be the punishment is you have a rampaging elemental for an hour that's not a punishment that is that's a feature right (laughs) it's standing there for an hour you finish casting the planar binding and now you have the elemental for however long and like i don't know if you ever had like an elemental just hanging out with you but like it's awesome and you're gonna want to heighten that planar binding so there are also some tricks to make this work a little bit easier um you can use another caster to perform the summoning while you bind so that you have 
two chances to use concentration. You're not dependent on concentration. Uh, you can also use a glyph of warding to trigger an uncontrolled summon that lasts for the entire duration without any concentration. And then once you actually make a simulacrum, there's your partner. Um, they can always help you out. You don't regain the spell slots, but that's fine because in the grand scheme of things, paying 2,500 gold pieces for uh, like a high-level demon who's you know bound to your will for a year and a day is totally worth it. So the target is going to be making that save versus the planar binding with disadvantage because you used heighten and you're going to have up to three of those portents uh, per day to just have them auto fail the save, hopefully. You do want to be really careful about creatures that have at will teleport abilities because they can use that every single round for an hour, which means they're definitely going to break out. And there's nothing that protects you from ranged attacks. So <laughs> you're going to need to dodge that. And if, you know, the, it's an excellent chance that uh, they break your concentration if they shoot you with an arrow. Once you actually get ninth level spells, though, you're going to want to take Wish because that means that you can cast all the other summon spells that are not that are not on the wizard list, like Conjure Celestial or Conjure Fey, which also lasts for an hour if uh, your concentration is broken. So you can do that on your own. Uh, and if you really, really want to, you can cast Planar Ally, which means something shows up depending on what you want, and you could have be the arbitrator. And if you're looking for like a really, truly neutral viewpoint, a Yugoloth is, I think, a great Great choice. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Right? What a recommendation. (laughs) All right. So uh, in terms of leveling order, where do we take these? I think probably we do five levels of wizard, just so you're a competent wizard and you have third level spells. Stick in the sorcerer and then from there um, you finish out wizard and then you're really summoning stuff. Oh, that's interesting. So I think... I think because you're you need six level binding, um, there's a natural point there to uh, get to fifth level spells and then take the uh, sorcerer levels, because you'll have six level slots and you won't need a six level spell because you've already got the spell you want to cast with that slot. That's definitely also not a bad idea, um, especially if you are feeling more confident with your portents, mm-hmm. and if you have other people in your party who are able to help you do this, it becomes much much easier. So, Ishan, who is your binding arbitrator? My binding arbitrator um, always had trouble making decisions when she was young and and always felt uh, pressured to make sure that she wasn't making the wrong decision, but always felt like she was screwing it up. So um, one day she's wandering in in the woods and she uh, comes across a fairy grove, meets a fae creature who are more than happy to help her with this problem making decisions about like what to eat today for dinner no problem making decisions about you know uh who you have a crush on yeah yeah that's not a problem um you know making decisions about whether or not you should you should steal something yeah we can help you with that don't worry about it and of course fae are not the most reliable creatures in the world and so as she grows up she realized no 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 i really need to take this into my own hands but i do like the idea of outsourcing the decision making (laughs) (laughs) okay and so she has decided that the the best way to maintain this balance to make sure that she is not making the wrong decision or falling too far to the left or the right uh, is to uh, enlist the aid of otherworldly creatures, um, bind them to her will, and then let them bear the consequences. What about your binding arbitrator? 
So my binding arbitrator uh, comes from Eberron, and uh, his parents were both members of uh, the Dragonmarked House, uh, Kaneth, and of course, they worked on the Warforged project. So growing up uh, without a Dragonmark, mind you, uh, was always surrounded by these little mechanical contraptions and and various like semi sentient or semi sapient sort of um, precursors to the Warforged uh, that were you know providing service and 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 whatever and and with parents who had the market making and are researchers and all these sort of things was always sort of cast aside as like the the black sheep child because they didn't have the mark. They couldn't do the magic. They couldn't create any of these wondrous contraptions. They couldn't contribute to the project. So instead, he pursued magic, uh, just the, the the typical kind. And instead of finding uh, servants that he had constructed himself, he would summon them from far away in order to uh, kind of show up his parents um, and get that you know chip on his shoulder. I like it. Why uh, why do the work when someone else is happy to do the work? Exactly. <laughs> I like the idea that planar ally, um, it's actually way easier to summon uh, something evil because then the task you give it is uh, kill everyone in that room. And they're like, yeah, that's, that's, sure, that, that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so Whereas the celestial's like, um, I don't know. What, what were their childhoods like? Right. Summon somebody <laughs> who shares your worldview. <laughs> All right. Before we wrap up, let's take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about corruption. And in the character creation forge, we're building the purifier. Well, that's it for episode 186 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Hey you, yeah, you listening to the podcast. I bet you like tabletop role-playing games. That's probably why you're listening to a podcast on the Don't Split the Podcast Network. Well, did you know there's a show on this network called Tabletop Babble, where I, James Intracasso, talk to many industry greats and awesome people who play role-playing games about role-playing games it is great it's like any conversation you would have at your local friendly game store i've talked to people like mike merles one of the lead designers of fifth edition dungeons and dragons wolfgang bauer of cobalt press ruth tillman who's done a lot of awesome game design work with pelgrane press and so many others you can check it out over at don't split the podcast network.com